didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot. Paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. The beginning of a new world. <laughs> the best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is, is the Black Cat Report. See you on the other side. You find yourself somewhere in the American Southwest, traveling down a desert road late one night, counting the gaps between groups of lights and the distance in your destination. You haven't seen the headlights of a car in a while. Even though you're speeding, it's a boring drive. Not much to see but the faint glow of the moonlight leaving shadows and shapes sleeping in the dust of the vast open desert. But as you make your way along, something begins to stick out standing next to the side of the road just ahead. It looks like a man. You slow down just a little bit as you pass. He's covered in a cracked white paint. Confused as to why he's out there, but sure as hell not stopping to give him a ride, you keep going. The thought of how weird of a sight that just was comes back to you and you glance into the rearview mirror only to realize there's a massive wolf with glowing red eyes running just behind your car. Panicking, you hit the gas. You're already going 65 miles per hour, but he's right there, catching up. You make it up to 70, 75, 80, before finally, when you look back, you see he's losing ground. Say the story is rare would be a lie. This week, we're covering the history and the reality of the Skinwalker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Black Cat Report. My name is Gil. And with me, the fantastic Joey, Ayo. the wonderful Selena, Hello. and the ferocious Betsabe. Hi! Y'all, it is a very special week for us here, and we just, as we just recently passed the 1,000 download mark, it's a small milestone for some, but a huge success for us. So we want to give a major shout out to all of you, our listeners, for making this show a success. Y'all are absolutely awesome, and we love you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, before we dig into the story of the Skinwalker, there are a few points I'd like to make. First, this will be part of a slow series, a theme, if you will, leading up to a deep dive into Skinwalker Ranch. Not quite part one, but not quite disconnected. Second, and most importantly, respect needs to be given to the Navajo. To understand Skinwalkers, their significance in Navajo culture, what they are and why they relate to Skinwalker Ranch, you must understand the tragic history and incredible strength of the Navajo. Further, this is not meant to be the final words, just the best info we were able to find. When referencing values, views, and narrative, we sought to find and quote Navajo and other native voices. When referencing experiences and encounters, we sought out to only include stories that fit within our best understanding of Navajo views. We do not represent Navajo culture, nor are claiming to. We are just covering research we've done and have tried our best to respectfully present it here. So to begin today's story, we'll be starting with a brief lead up to what is known as the Long Walk. After fighting with the Spanish to keep their homelands in the now American Southwest, the Navajo then had to fight back the Mexicans. There were constant slave raids being carried out against the Navajo. Children were being gathered up and stolen by the hundreds and sent off to be forced into a life of slavery. As time went on, Manifest Destiny, 
The white American belief that the country was chosen by God to stretch across the continent soon brought Americans to the doorstep of the Navajo's native land. After winning the Mexican-American War, the lands the Navajo had been living on for thousands of years long before recorded history were considered up for grabs. This leads us to a very important moment. It was around the late 1840s and early 1850s that America began building military forts in and around Navajo territory. This was also around that time that people looking at the geology of the area started the rumor that there might be gold on the Navajo's land. And like every other time in American history, this rumor took off like wildfire. I'm skipping over a lot of treaties and events, and I want to make a point here that this time period is in fact incredibly complex and I highly recommend people look into it. I will be including including some links to some short documentaries in the in the show description. I'm I'm wondering if they actually found gold in the hills or if they were just you know, it's probably the government being like, I think we want that land. Uh let's just spread a rumor that there's gold over there and we'll just go take it eventually. They didn't. They didn't really need to, as oh, uh, yeah. as prospectors were kind of like out there and like they were doing it already. They were going to be setting up forts and things like that. Um, they were looking at the geology and with their very very limited understanding of the terrain, like they were like there must be gold here, and there was literally a line of we can use this land better than the Navajo. Like that was quite literally a line that was dropped. Like they don't know what they've got. We can use this, right? Imagine if they had social media back then, how awful it would be. Um, yeah, Americans began flooding into the area, and naturally, the Navajo responded by fighting for their homes and their way of life. Treaties were written out and signed and then broken over and over again, each time broken by the Americans and each time chipping away at Native territory. This leads us to the 1860s when President Lincoln ordered Major General James H. Carleton to forcefully move the Navajos to Bosque Rodondo. The idea, considered a, a peaceful solution at the time, was to quote, civilize and quote, Christianize the Navajo and Apache by forcing them to live in a 40 square mile area and make them into farmers. This is so fucked up and stupid but this was this was the line coming down from government this was directly ordered by lincoln okay so yeah this the is, great emancipator yeah <laughs> this is why uh for folks native to this country the lincoln memorial is not that fucking inspiring he's a piece of shit so to large portions of this country thinking about it too. too big too <laughs> his hat was too big that was his problem actually his yeah. hat was too big yeah too big. Um, like not even cute. to think about saying that he's they're civilizing making them christian it's... when their culture appreciates the land and appreciates things that is are upon it compared to christianity where they feel like they have dominion over it which is just a very very interesting disproportionate ideology yeah the um I'm sorry if I crack up here a little bit. Um, the what I watched, what I read, what I went over around this time period, which I really wish I could have um, written out and given it more respect. Um, it was tough. Like it's uh, it's fucked. It's it's heartbreaking. Um, <clears throat> but yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah, and kind of in line with what Joey was just saying, uh, it should be noted here that the Navajo were already incredibly talented farmers with 
massive peach orchards and cornfields spanning across their territory and thriving in the desert. And after the introduction of sheep by the Spanish, they kicked ass at raising them too, fully incorporating them into their lives and their culture. There were folks um, I watched on older documentaries who were kids at the time of this. Like this is how close this is in history, right? They were, and they were talking about um, some terrible things that happen like with their sheep once the military moves in and how they were just breaking down crying because these sheep that you know they were raised so closely with like in culture were like family like that's how close this was intertwined in life right um <clears throat> yeah so uh they fully incorporated them into their lives and their culture and again they had been living in the region for tens of thousands of years. And by their own creation story, please to give respect to that, that land is where they first set foot on earth, right? Um, they didn't need any help. The Americans just wanted them out of their way. That's any other line in any history book or documentary. I'm sorry, but it's bullshit. It's just straight up bullshit. And for proof of, of that, you're gonna learn really soon why the Americans were fully aware that they didn't need help with farming or being, quote, civilized. Um, so back to Abraham Lincoln. Once again, his order was passed down. It reached the famous douchebag, Kit Carson, who proceeded, again, under direct orders, to lead a scorched earth campaign against the Navajo. This was one year before Sherman's march during the Civil War, which all the white motherfuckers in the South love to point out about the terrorism that was committed by the North during the Civil War. Well, it happened a year earlier. And I'm mm -hmm. not saying either side of it is right, but if you need context and you're in one social group or one cultural group, there it is for you. It was just as bad, and frankly, it was worse. There was no society to integrate with afterwards. You see, more than just stunning and beautiful, the canyons that the Navajo lived in worked as a massive just unscalable walls that protected large portions of their territory. To get to them, or more so, to get them to comply, Carson began cutting off water sources, making raids into their territory and burning their crops, slaughtering their sheep, destroying hundreds of year-old peach orchards, just straight up committing acts of state-sponsored terrorism in an effort to literally weaken the Navajos into compliance. This went on for years. They they intentionally ran a campaign of trying to starve an entire population across a massive area into compliance to get them to relocate. During all of this, the long-standing enemies of the Navajo, a name that should stand out to fans of Skinwalker Ranch, the Ute, provided scouts to Kit Carson, helping him hunt down Navajo that were fleeing the destruction and forced relocation. This begins the long walk. Roughly 8,500 people, men, women, children, the elderly, the pregnant, it didn't matter, were forced to walk between 300 to 450 miles through the brutal winters and the scorching summers of the Southwest. No, thank you. Slowing down often meant you were shot and killed. If you were a woman of any age, you were subject to whatever pleasure the American soldiers wanted from you. To quote one source, Navajo, in their native language, Diné, their oral history tells the stories of those who lived through the terror at the hands of Carson's men on a long walk. They showed no regard for women, children, or families. 
When the people became exhausted, the soldiers became harsh, sometimes shooting prisoners rather than allowing the Navajo to rest. And another, these soldiers do not have any regards for the women folks. They took onto themselves her wife, somebody else's wife. And many times, the Navajo man whose wife was being taken tried to ward off the soldiers, but immediately he was shot and killed and they took his wife. John Daw, Testimony Before the Land Claims Commission, 1951. Again, this history is not that far removed from us. Please, like, understand that. We're only, like, three generations out. Yeah, this is... It's pretty bad the way that a lot of this went down. All of it went down, pretty much. And this is not unlike pretty much all the history of the U.S. government being in the being in power. It's pretty much just even up until the... Probably the 2000s. They've been doing stuff like this. We just won't hear about it for another 30, 40 years when historians look back on it. So it's not changed. <clears throat> this is, um, yeah, and like I, I don't know if we'll have time to throw it in towards the end, but uh, eventually I do have the numbers listed about um, when Navajo got the right to vote, um, when children were allowed to attend public schools uh, in America, when they were considered citizens in America, and uh, spoiler alert, your parents might have been alive at that time. This is not separate from current events. So, anyways, the brutality of Carson and the soldiers cannot be overstated. This forced march came at the end of years of systemic starvation, fleeing, desperately trying to survive, and now this, right? So these people weren't just, like, sent on a march. They weren't in the best or the healthiest condition at the start of this march. They were already desperate. They were already spread so thin and had been fighting so hard to stay where they believed, you know, and rightfully so, that, like, they came into being in this earth. This is their religion. This is their culture. This is everything. Was that strip of land, this section of land in the Southwest. And now, after all this, they're being forced on this brutal fucking march for relocation. Well... Once the Navajo reached Bosque Redondo, the conditions there speak clearly for themselves. I want to point out, while letters amongst American military and government spoke of grand dreams of indoctrination, treating people nicely, uh, with respect, and and so on, the reality of the next four years, it it would give the devil a lesson in how to run hell. And as we'll soon get to, it does. At Bosque Redondo, armed soldiers stood watch as the Navajo and Apache were starving to death. The lands they were expected to farm were absolutely worthless. The water, the only source of water available was alkaline, meaning drinking it made you sick, leaving people deathly ill. Shelter was nearly non-existent, and the intentionality of the the scorched earth campaigns of the starvation of everything leading up to this point weakened everyone to the point that it was almost impossible to build new shelters they were just out there in the harsh climates dying for four years well sometimes referred to as an internment camp this was by no exaggeration of the term an open-air concentration camp and before anyone says anything about this being a gross exaggeration, I would like to refer you to Hitler and the architects behind the Holocaust, who, 80 years later, would directly say Bosque Redondo was a model and inspiration for the design of their camps. Wow. 
This is how fucking bad it was. Yeah. Quite literally, like it's 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 known in in a lot of circles that like Hitler saw the treatment of of the First Nations folks in the U.S. and used that as a model for for his fucked up campaigns, right? Um, for his fucked up policies, but specifically Bosque Redondo was the one that stood out. That was the one that they looked over every fucking detail when they started building concentration camps. This is what the U.S. government put the Navajo mm-hmm. and the Apache in. Uh, the idea of it is that treating those people as they're not human and that they're just not people. And that's kind of what they did. They they also put the Japanese, yeah. uh, Japanese Americans, excuse me, in internment camps who were American citizens and they decided, oh, these people could be spies. Let's all put them all in internment camps because they could be, in quotation, spies. Yeah, it's really and strange so, that that didn't happen to the Germans at the same time. Isn't, isn't that right? And all the yeah. people they brought over after World War II that were Nazis. Huh. Fun fact, George Takai was raised in one. Yes, he was. Yeah, that's yes, he was. terrible fun awesome fact. Awesome fucking human being, yes, George he is. Takai. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, uh, with this lesson understood, right, um, this all leads us to the Treaty of 1868. This is incredibly important, right? Uh, after all this pain, the war, and the suffering, and four years at Bosque Redondo, the Navajo were able to negotiate a treaty, right? And this allowed them to return to their homeland. Obviously, much, much smaller than their original, but still sizable, right? Much better, and at least they could go back to their, their source of everything, their source of culture, their source of identity, their source of belonging, everything, right? Um, and this is important to note, these four years were after a lot of gold prospecting, right? And when there was no gold found on the land, suddenly these negotiations were allowed to happen. This is not a coincidence, <laughs> right? Figure. <clears throat> There was a lot of important things in this treaty, and there were a lot of um, important key players and decision makers in this process. Um, they are undoubtedly, and they, and they deserve to be um, heroes for how they handled the treaty process. They refused to back down on so many things during the process, even after all this fucking pain and the suffering, and to have dangling in front of them the ability to go back to their homelands, and they still didn't compromise. Like, when I talk, like, perseverance, like, it's, I'm, like, about to get teary. Like, it's so intense. Like, they did not compromise on so many things. I right? imagine. It's fucking awesome what they did and what they managed to pull off for the Navajo people. Yeah, and I imagine <clears throat> that the whole experience made them hardened and grew, would make them grow closer together, honestly. If they're dying on there, like, and they're, like, seeing their friends, family, loved ones dying on this trip, and then they see the, the cause of it is the one trying to give you a treaty. Yeah. I mean, I would look at them and be like, well, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're going to take back, we're going to take what we want no matter what, or else we're just going to die here. Forgive me for not having the name in front of me. One of the main things was um, everybody was allowed to get uh, a sheep, right? And one of the leaders in the treaty process, I believe, um, I cannot remember his name, forgive me, but... um. But he made a basically a doctrine or like a policy of like nobody's allowed to sacrifice the first sheep that they get. We have to use these for for breeding for expanding the herd, even though everybody's fucking starving. He was like, no, we need longevity. We need to think about it this way. Um, the next step up was um, 
the Navajo agreed to not engage in any sort of external like violence, warfare, fighting or anything like that. But that was with the explicit protection of the U.S. military around their border. So for um, groups with like, uh, you know, they had been beefing with the Apache forever. Right. And with other native tribes. Now they had the protection, the protection of the U.S. military external to mm-hmm. their their homelands. Another one, which is very fucked up, um, but had to have sounded great at the time, um, was all of their children were allowed 10 years of um, education, right? How this (laughs) worked out in reality was a continuation of the indoctrination program where the children were snatched up as kids and shipped away for 10 years, way the fuck across the country to indoctrination schools where they were basically trying to Christianize them and weed out their entire culture, right? Um, It was, oh, fuck, what was the year? Um, It wasn't until, uh, please don't quote me on this, it was... I want to say it was the 19, 19, yeah, it was the 1950s before that program stopped. It was almost 100 years that that went on, that the U.S. government was systematically trying to weed out Navajo culture by indoctrinating the youth. And wasn't there recently, like, those schools that they took them to, there were a bunch of bodies found? Yep. Same school. (laughs) This continued on into the 1950s. They just straight up killed these kids. It's disgusting. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw in the news. You know, like intentional or just neglect. Like they killed so many kids. Probably both, honestly. Just yeah, neglect and abuse. I can't imagine, um, especially after the way the reservations, the intentionally planned reservations, right? Um, were so well funded and so well supplied that the schools were much different. Well, look at them know? now. Look at literally drive and see a reservation now, and yeah. it looks like you're in a third world country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You it's, know where uh, they found like all those bodies of the kids? Um, I don't know if you guys heard about the whole Gavi Petito. No. Um. So there was this girl that got killed by her boyfriend yeah. at this. Uh, was it oh, i can't remember the name of the do you remember the name of uh where they found her body I think no, it but was near the national park or something well they found a bunch of bodies of kid, native american kids so yeah. thanks to <clears throat> trying to find her body yeah. they were able to find other bodies of native american kids that were just dumped there yeah i mean that would honestly it sounds like a terrible thing but like listening to the stories of like serial killers and how a lot of serial killers got away with just killing people like yeah. in quotations low class people like as they see them you know that I imagine that there's probably so many serial killers that were never like identified as serial killers that just killed Native Americans yeah. um, yes. and just dumped them because at that time and probably not even up until nowadays did they even like look into this which is just so shitty that and that completely tracks like um you know with with more well-documented serial killers now like it's they got away from with it for so long because they um they killed the untouchables in Mm -hmm. society like they killed um prostitutes they killed like homosexuals they killed the folks that the police like did not give a fuck about and Mm -hmm. they got away with it for a long long time 
you know, and this is, um, yeah, uh, I mean, this is, uh, hate it as much as anybody wants. This is American history. That's all there is to it. There was systematic state-sponsored terrorism that continued into more than likely your parents' childhood. And it still continues today in different forms. And as we just brought up a little bit earlier, 20, 30 years from now, it's going to be in a textbook. It's going to be online. It's going to be common sense. But while it's happening, this vicious evil is just completely fucking ignored. For uh, um, Bosque Redondo, right? There was intense pain, intense suffering for hundreds of years, fighting with the Spanish, fighting with the Mexicans, then having to deal with the Americans moving in, and then the Scorched Earth campaign, and then four years in an open-air concentration camp. And they finally got this treaty, the Treaty of 68, which, by the way, somehow manages to still stand to this day, right? Well, this all leads to 1878, 10 years after the treaty was signed. After a series of events and suspicions, in 1878, someone found a collection of witch relics wrapped in a copy of the Treaty of 1868 and buried in the belly of a dead man. Besides the morbid symbolism of this, to the Navajo it was clear this was a threat, a curse put upon them just 10 years after finally finding some semblance of peace, some sense of hope for stability. After hundreds of years of war, systemic starvation, kidnapping, slavery, surviving the nightmare of the concentration camps at Bosque Rodondo, someone, specifically, a Navajo witch, was desiring more pain and suffering for the Navajo people. It was one of their own. This is fucked. This is an intense moment, right? This discovery led to the now notorious Navajo witch purge of 1878, where upwards of 40 people were accused of being witches and killed. I give all this background because it needs to be said. There was serious trauma put upon this culture, right? Serious fucking crimes put upon this culture. Unlike the witch purges of Europe, right? Unlike the witch purges of the, the colonies, right? Unlike those situations where it was just like a, a fervor of fucking like people freaking out and fundamentalism, there was a legitimate reason <laughs> for the Navajo to be real fucking pissed at their own and to start pointing fingers at folks that they suspected of being witches, like, this was a threat, and it was wrapped in their own fucking symbolism. Somebody didn't like this treaty, and this was the first chance of hope after generations for stability. Well, before this, ex this moment, the existence of skinwalkers, a.k.a. Navajo witches, which I'll get to the distinction in terminology later. So the witches created the, 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 the walker guy? Kind of. Um... So, well, I guess I'll jump to it now. So, to the best of my understanding, as a complete outsider in Navajo culture, a witch is only evil. It's not at all the same as in European or Anglo culture where it's like 
there can be good witches and bad witches and neutral witches and whatever the fuck witches like there there's not that multiplicity there's there's medicine men medicine women there's medicine people right which would be more closely aligned with the proper view of a witch in european or anglo culture right but then there's Navajo witches. Navajo witches, which practice the witchery way, which is like another uh, reoccurring phrase around this, are only fucking evil. It's only dark magic. It's only bad. Their intent is only bad. And this is kind of like nails down the point that like only the worst motherfucker in a society would try to curse them <laughs> with this treaty where they're finally pay, like experiencing peace. Again, this is 10 years after everybody just got out of it. This is in living history. It's not like it was a 10-year-old that did this. It was somebody who survived through this fucking, this, this horrible situation that wanted more pain and more suffering. You're an evil piece of shit if you want that on your own goddamn people. Like, this is fucked, right? And so for a distinction, Navajo witches are synonymous with skinwalkers right? Medicine folks, like medicine men, medicine women, that would be synonymous with, with good witches, witches of the light, right, in European culture. But we have to give respect to the differences in semantics here. So I don't know if that answers your question, but mm -hmm. there's a huge split. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder if they were like, like paid or brainwashed by like the government to just be I, I think they might have just been upset that after all of the suffering that they've had at the hands of like the white folk like that you would turn around and try and cut a deal with them mm -hmm. you know like they might just be like i don't trust them i still don't trust them and i don't think that we should be making deals we should be handling things our own way yeah that's, that's kind of what i think that's a that's a pretty yeah rational it's a good angle that's a pretty rational angle or like approach, but it doesn't necessarily fit with how um, skinwalkers, right? AKA Navajo witches. Um, oh, relate. so the skinwalkers are the witches. Yes, more or less. Yeah. Oh. It gets very, it splinters, but skinwalkers are Navajo witches. That doesn't mean every Navajo witch is a skinwalker right but every skinwalker is a navajo witch if if that makes sense like it's a mm -hmm. subcategory anyways um it gets a little bit complicated but just bear with me here the point is to show um what's <laughs> what's coming up next it's leading up to something here trust me y'all um <laughs> so well before this moment the existence of skinwalkers aka navajo witches are widely reported as being known in navajo culture understood and to some very loose extent here accepted as a fact of life before this moment. The significance of the 78 Witch Purge stands out in that it is one of the earliest well-documented events for us as outsiders to reference and develop a timeline of the sentiment, knowledge, and social scrutiny around skinwalkers. So this is very important to understand here. This is not the history of skinwalkers. This is the history of us as outsiders being able to understand skinwalkers it's one of the earliest documented moments where we can point to and start developing a timeline everything before that gets gets um fractaled it's hearsay and half the sources they, to be honest at least that i've been able to find i wasn't really able to trust right it was folks with like some very strong uh biases coming in and judging 
Navajo folks, but it wasn't coming from their own words. It wasn't coming from their own mouth. And while skinwalkers, um, there's documentation showing that uh, if you were a skinwalker, fully fucking legal before 68 to kill a skinwalker in Navajo culture. Somebody was a skinwalker, totally legit. You can fucking kill them. Right. It, it, they were hated before this, but they, it was very understood. It was very like they exist. Right. But this moment is when we can point to and start tracing modern day understanding of skinwalkers. And so as such, in other words, this was the earliest turning point we can, again, as outsiders, point to as the birth of the modern skinwalker. Now, with a little bit of the history and context understood, Let's dive into what a skinwalker is and isn't. Before anything, it needs to be stated a skinwalker is evil. As we'll soon see, there is no such thing as a good skinwalker. Any other view of them is a misconception that denies the conclusions of a culture that has been dealing with them for thousands of years. I'm not willing to <laughs> branch out on that disrespect. So the creation, methodology, practices, and motivations stem from selfishness, greed, jealousy, and hatred. Their powers focus on bringing pain, death, intimidation, and sickness to the world, always at the expense of those around them. This is how they get their power. They get their power from the pain and suffering of their own community. So kind of uh -huh. like a, U a U.S. congressman and woman? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, but this is also why the, the rational approach that Selena had about, like, um, you know, maybe they were pissed that they were making this deal with white folks. That almost seemed a little bit too, like, um, considerate for a skinwalker. It's a very solid view to have. And I fucking anybody with a rational mind would be like, yeah, fuck this shit. We can't trust these motherfuckers. You know, like anybody. But for a skinwalker, they're a little more self-centered than that. They want the pain. They so, want the mass suffering. It to take sounds place. like the skinwalkers were created by the U.S. government. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, if they were slightly good, they would have done more fighting against the U.S. government. <laughs> well, no, that's that what I'm way. saying. Like would they have been created real sweet them. If there was an army of them to just fuck with Carson. Like goddamn, that would have been awesome. <laughs> like I'm saying, like they created them to just create more pain. Kind of yeah. like. They had been around for thousands of years before that. Oh, really? Yes. So they're just demons. Literally thousands of years before that, skinwalkers have existed. That The history goes back so fucking far, but it's so... The Navajo do not like to talk about, um, as we'll see, like do not like to talk about, speak about, document anything relating to a skinwalker. It is Didn't... so far past taboo, it's ridiculous. So this 68... Um, the treaty was kind of one of the first moments where we can look back to and be like, that's when white culture documenting things and documentation of quotes from other, um, from Navajo folks were being put into the English language that we as outsiders can look back to and be like, now oh, we can follow a timeline. Before that, I don't fucking know. You know, just straight up. Didn't the, the Vampire Diaries have an episode about them? Uh, like, like Bonnie's uh, grandma talk to her about that to be careful not to like um basically uh um be friends with those witches and then she kind of like told her 
the story what what they were doing to the Native Americans. Oh uh, yeah, the demons that they were like killing them and and doing horrible things. Yeah, I think it was about that. Yeah. Yeah. So so the Vampire Diaries has an episode. So about Skinwalkers it. <laughs> are are kind of like Voldemort. You don't say the name. You don't talk about them or Sauron from Lord Voldemort. of the Rings. <laughs> a little bit they're just I, they're evil in their eyes just so people understand yeah i'll always shy away from the comparisons in the sense that i really honestly do think that they need to be broken into people's minds as their own thing and anything else besides that is a uh an attempt but not even close oh of course uh, it's fiction versus reality you know sci- sci-fi yeah, yeah stuff. So, like, no. sauron's yeah. not real voldemort no, isn't real no, so like obviously. these things are like in history documented that they're there yeah, yeah. did you um, say voldemort is real isn't real oh <laughs> i was like what <laughs> um, so so while uh while very little is known to the general public about the ritualistic process of becoming a skinwalker one step seems to be acknowledged again and again in order to complete the ceremony, you must kill a close family member you love. Generally, a brother or sister. But the idea, the goal, the main way to do it, is the person in your family that you love the most. That is who you sacrifice. Oh my god. <laughs> this is the first goddamn step. <laughs> Evil. Motivations to become a skinwalker vary in reasons just as widely as any other decision people make. Power over the community, revenge against someone or a group of people you feel have wronged you, family tradition, and in some cases, coercion. There is said to be a terrifying practice of sometimes forcing small children who have come across a ceremony to make a choice, telling them, kill one of your brothers or sisters and become one of us, or we'll kill you. This is still happening today. This is not old news. This isn't from the 1800s. This, these are these are quotes from folks closely involved in the community that, as of five, six, seven years ago, are saying this is the shit that they're hearing on the ground. This is what's happening now, right? Well, once somebody becomes a skinwalker, they change their behavior, their personality, everything. Which is why getting somebody while they're young seems to be a somewhat common practice. They can be raised in a world of secrecy, and the transformation can happen before the shift in their personality or the required sacrifice of a loved one raises any alarms in the community. Nobody suspects a seven-year-old of committing murder. A personality change in a little kid doesn't really stand out as opposed to somebody in their 20s or their 30s who completely has a shift in character, who would be a number one suspect in a missing person, right? Grabbing a young kid makes sense. Mm -hmm. To add to this, the powers acquired when one becomes a skinwalker seem to replace part within them. Call it their soul, their life force, what have you, but it is widely understood that leaving the path of being a skinwalker means death essentially locking you into the practice, rituals, and motivations to maintain secrecy. It is said that while the skinwalker does not lose control of themselves, going on wild rampages like a werewolf, they will die if they do not kill. If they do not make a habit 
of bringing upon pain and suffering. In other words, whatever deal they make when they make it requires them to regularly bring forth its imbalance into the world to maintain a flow of its influence into the world. Far past symbols of curses, a skinwalker, who can be a man or a woman, employs a variety of skills and techniques to complement their dark powers. From poisonous corpse powders stored in bones taken from a graveyard to methods of breaking into your mind and stealing your self-control, when you are targeted by a skinwalker, your only hope is to seek out help from someone versed in healing that can fight for you beyond this physical plane specifically and ideally a Navajo medicine man. As for process and abilities, we'll work through what is widely known and reported before acknowledging what I would consider to be a safe assumption. Now for what we know. To speak to the process, as with any practice, some people are more talented or more trained Right, So this means that some skinwalkers are able to transform completely, while others only partially, leading stories to wolf-like men being associated with them, as well as tales of skinwalkers completely taking the shape of other humans. We have that wide range of some folks, when they enact on these powers, can completely 100% transform into whatever they decide to mimic, right? in order to get to their target, in order to do whatever their goal is. Other folks, that's where you start to get the stories of like the half man, half wolf, mm. right? You get to have the like the partial bestial, like it has like wolf legs, but a human head and it has like all these types of crazy things. So so when you brought up werewolves earlier, Betsy, like kind of, but not, right? Like, and unlike werewolves, where, like, they're kind of beholden to the, the cycles of the moon and, like, they kind of, like, get flipped into this uncontrollable rage when, like, this happens, when this transformation happens, skinwalkers are in control. <laughs> they know what the fuck they're doing. And they make an active decision to do it, which makes them that much more horrifying to me. They'd never lose that full control. They just have a singular motivation to maintain this path that they're on. To be a hundred percent, with if you didn't have to kill your first like your first friend or your first love or whatever your your the person closest to you and like be evil the whole time, this would a hundred percent be the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, you just be. look at a, an, a rabbit and be like, you know what, that would be awesome to be today. I want to be a rabbit. Yeah, you know, or a werewolf and be like, eh, you know what, I really got to get to this meeting on time. Hold on a second, <laughs> singular focus. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure for for some folks that definitely plays a part in it, but um, but yeah, there's there's a lot, there's a huge um, there seems to be a huge understood negotiation that takes place when somebody wants these powers. Like it's like you know that you're doing this. It's not nobody's nobody's being tricked into being like shit. I got to do this the rest of my life. Like it's like it's very understood. This is a day to day life, a day to day cultural reality of like yeah, if you do this, you're fucked. <laughs> You know, <laughs> which makes the decision that much more like um, despicable, honestly. Well, at some point before the transformation, the skinwalker will coat themselves from head to toe, the hair and all, with a thick substance that eventually dries to look like cracked white paint. This is assumed because of cases where a strange or threatening animal has been shot, 
only to be approached and to everyone's horror found to be a human wearing an animal skin and covered in a strange white substance. Oh, that's why he's, it's called the Skinwalker. I was wondering why they're called skinwalkers. <laughs> yep. When ready to transform through ceremony and chance, a skinwalker dons the pelt of the animal they would like to become. Most commonly, this is a wolf, coyote, owl, or crow. But in reality, it can be anything, any animal whose abilities they desire to take on and control. They see everything turn red and once transformed, possess incredible speed and resilience. Based on reports, this transformation can happen in incredibly fast i mean we're like literally talking seconds when they're ready to like pull the trigger and become it it's like they see a flash of red everything kind of gets blurry and they're that animal it's super fucking quick (laughs) right now when they transform it is said that the animal will have the eyes of a human and when they are a human the eyes of an animal Along with the ability to shapeshift, they can read your thoughts. When locking eyes with a skinwalker in an animal or human form, they are said to be able to hear what you are thinking and in some cases take control of you. They can attack you in your sleep, manifesting dark visions of your own death while you were trapped in your dreams and literally dying in front of people who are awake around you. They can use footprints, hair, personal possessions, anything of close meaning or of your body to curse you into a cycle of tragedy and bad luck. They can project their consciousness and image. They have the power to produce the literal manifestation of themselves and appear wherever they desire in order to stalk and torment their target. And finally, they know when they are being spoken of. It is widely acknowledged that to speak of them is to draw their attention and to put yourself at risk of becoming a target. Thanks, Gilbert. (laughs) While it's nearly impossible to know if someone around you is a skinwalker, thus making speaking of them in public very risky, there are also countless tales that add up to more than practicing simple caution or uh, social paranoia. People attempting to report on skinwalkers or speak about them have faced odd occurrences, direct consequences, and visits from skinwalkers. In short, to talk about them is to risk becoming a target. This is widely understood in Navajo culture and also one of the reasons why you shouldn't be a dick and ask anyone, friend, family, or stranger who's Navajo to talk about them. Even if it wasn't putting a target on their heads, please be considerate to the complexity of being an individual in a world of labels, values, and beautiful differences. Thank you so much for listening to the Black Cat Report and our episode on the spine-tingling and skin-crawly skinwalkers. If you are too creeped out to function, just like, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And follow our adventures on Instagram as well. Now let's get back to the skins walking. With all of that understood, let's dig into some of the stories. From the book, Skinwalker Shards Linger. Haas Lors, a Mormon, living with his Navajo wife, Mary. On or near various areas of the massive Navajo Nation, which 
to kind of backtrack a little bit, spans over 27,000 square miles of the American Southwest, have both had encounters as well as attempts on their lives by skinwalkers. And to follow up on all of this, that 1868 treaty, right, like outlined a border of, I think it's 27,400 and something miles of a territory that still exists. It is the largest, quote unquote, Native American reservation in the country. It is huge. So when we talk about skinwalkers, when we talk about culture, please understand this is a major area of our country <laughs> that are interacting with these. Mm. The news doesn't spread um, for many different reasons, um, most of which are based on cultural respect. The other based off of people in the culture being like, I don't want to fucking talk about this, right? But this is not a small little section of our country. This is massive, right? Well, on a cold winter evening in 2013, Haas and his dog, also named Haas, <laughs> were, were heading out to feed their horses on the ranch. Partway there, the dog, Haas, lets off a warning bark and makes a dash back towards the house where Mary was inside resting. Haas, the human, turns around and heads back to see what all the ruckus was about. As he approached the house, he realizes the door was wide open. Panicked, he begins looking around, making his way to the bedroom where him and Mary, you know, lived. It was the bedroom. She was there, writhing in pain and groaning with a fine white dust coating her face. Their dog, Haas, with a scared look, quietly sitting at her feet. As Haas approached her, he heard the distinctive sound of claws scratching across the hardwood floor in their house before one of the doors opened and slammed shut. Realizing what this was, he ran and grabbed hot water and a washcloth and began desperately trying to wipe the dust off of her face. It was corpse powder, a complex mixture made from the bones and skin of a corpse then laced with strong psychoactive herbs, one of the skinwalker's favorite poisons. Considered lucky if you only become deathly ill, inhaling just a small amount is more than enough to kill you. Wow. Haas stayed up all night giving Mary medicine they had on hand from the last attack praying non-stop and burning cedar wood. Morning came, and she partially snapped out of the dreamlike state she had been stuck in. At this point, she just barely managed to get out the words to ask for water. And it was right around this time, right around this moment, they both heard something large jump down from the woodpile next to their house, knocking it over and running away. Mary sipping the water explained how she'd been stuck in a dreamlike space desperately trying to come back. She would end up sleeping through most of the day until finally Haas was able to bring her to the medicine man they had gone to before. So this has happened to them before? Many times before. Oh, oh my god. After another long night, she was finally brought back to herself and to this world. In another story from the book, Skinwalker Shards Linger by Haas Lores, Haas, 
Mary and her sister are returning to the ranch in the late evening after picking up a new horse. While making their way down the long driveway, Mary and her sister scream. There's a skinwalker standing just ahead, but at the same moment they noticed it, Haas began to buckle in nauseating pain. They must have ran off quick because they made their way to the house with no incident. Before long, Haas went to bed, trying to sleep off the sick feeling that was creeping up on him. Around 3.30 a.m., he woke up and began to experience extreme diarrhea and vomiting. After dealing with that, he laid down on the couch and proceeded to fall into an out-of-body experience. He watched as things, creatures or, or entities, he, he couldn't really describe what they were, began entering and trying to rip apart and tear at his soul. And to put this into perspective, he is watching from above his body as he's laying on the couch. That's Watching fun. things enter his body and trying to pull shit out of it and he can't do anything about it wow voices kept entering his head saying over and over this is not your place not your home not where you're supposed to be over and over and over again as he's watching his body being torn apart you're like well where do you want me at (laughs) (laughs) well I mean in all fairness He's a white dude on native land. Oh. You know? <laughs> and so, like, this is a pretty straightforward message. Like, bro, mm-hmm. get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, well, these voices kept entering his head and saying this. But at this point, Mary was awake and saw the state he was in. She began the process of giving him bitter medicine, which is uh, kind of a shorthand, a nickname for a specific medicine that you give somebody when they are experiencing the effects of of witchery when they're experiencing the effects of a skinwalker. It's a very specific medicine that you can deliver to somebody. Along with the better medicine, they began, or she began burning cedar and gave him his medicine pouch, which, after multiple encounters, even though he comes from a very strong Mormon faith, he was more than willing to accept in this situation. He snapped back to reality and saw a large snake looking at him through the living room window. It hissed the name of one of his neighbors before slowly bending down and crawling away. Shortly after, in the same direction the snake left, the dogs and horses began to howl and freak out across the ranch. It was a pretty clear message. Their neighbor had employed a skinwalker to attack him. The next day, before becoming ill himself and having to leave, a medicine man would come to the ranch and give Haas instructions on removing what the skinwalkers had put into him. This is important here. The medicine man clearly outlined they put something in you. They put demons in you, more or less, if you have to put it in Anglo terms, right? Now, in a story often told by retired Navajo ranger Jonathan Redbird Dover, A man and his wife came home one evening to find a coyote trying to get into their sheep corral. Again, culturally, sheep, pretty fucking big deal, right? Without much hesitation, he pulled his twenty-two rifle from the truck and shoots at it. It yelps and proceeds to drag itself by its front legs into a nearby patch of tumbleweeds. The man walks over, wanting to 
get rid of the nuisance but not wanting to have it suffer. He grabs onto the coyote by its back legs and starts to pull it out of the bush. As he does this, the legs turn into human legs. He drops them and steps back. A skinny, injured man, completely covered in a white pate, laid on the ground in front of him. Looking over at his wife, he asks, "What the, basically, what the fuck should we do right now? Frankly, who the hell is going to believe this, right? They decide to call the police and an ambulance. Now, this is where the reality of people in present day dealing with skinwalkers shows. The police, multiple police, show up first. When they arrive, they see the man on the ground, still alive, and they say, quote, we don't want anything to do with this. I, I do want to clarify, too. This is on the reservation, right? Uh, yes. So then it would be reservation police who would be taking care of this since they're different than law enforcement. So they would have knowledge about this already as the Navajo people. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be Navajo or like, I, in a loose sense, Navajo adjacent folks, like yeah. folks that are more experienced with like the mm -hmm. culture and stuff like that, showing up to this. But this is police in a federal system, like kind of like showing up and being like, fuck that. Like, yeah. we're not fucking touching that. We're not looking at that. We're not asking it a goddamn question. And this is also in the story. Everybody in the story starts referring to the skinwalker as it. Not a single person says him. <laughs> not a single person says her. They don't give any, um, I would say, like, um, personification. They don't give any type of, like, human feeling to the skinwalker. They just start referring to it as it. And it's very well understood at least as I've heard the multiple stories, like, it's an it. There is no humanity in what they're looking at. They then sit far away in their cars as everyone waits for the ambulance to show. No questions are asked, right? And this whole time, the skinwalker's on the ground, alive, conscious, right? But with a bullet wound, with a twenty-two wound, like, in its side. Everyone is afraid to talk because... If you talk to a skinwalker, there's a chance that later it might be able to identify you and come after you. Nobody, nobody in this situation wants to fucking say a word, wants to stand out. They're all fucking scared shitless. So there's that way to kill them? There is a way to kill them, but we'll get to that. I mean, so we know how to defend ourselves? <laughs> in some ways, yes. It's not perfect. There's a reason why they're so prevalent and so powerful. Mm. Well, when an ambulance does finally arrive, the skinwalker is loaded up and taken to the hospital. Once there, the Navajo staff begin to freak out. Literally everybody there that's Navajo knows exactly what just got brought into the hospital. This left only the white doctors to do any work on the skinwalker. All of the staff at this native hospital just fucking dipped. They were like, no, <laughs> like we're not touching that. We're not looking at that. We're not going anywhere near that thing. It just left like non-believers. It just left white folks to basically work on it. And they did save him. Well, by this point, the husband who had shot him and the wife reach out to the Navajo Rangers. They ask for advice on what to do. Okay, sorry, but why would they try to save it? 
because they're white folks and they don't know what the fuck's going on. They just think that it's a bunch of superstition, a bunch of a but bunch of bullshit. Why would they even take it to the hospital? I don't know. Yeah. Like, what's, I, I, why I didn't think, they just leave it to die? I think the idea of it is that they're still trying to do their job and they're still trying to do. They don't see it yet. Like the idea of it is that you don't see it as human. They don't see it as human, but they still have to do their job. And they still have to do this thing, even though it's kind of against their. No, but like when it's, when when they it, shot it, it was, and it was there, who called the ambulance to the, come pick it up? The 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 husband and wife who originally like you know the husband saw it, shot it because it it was it was a nuisance. It was trying to get to their sheep and to kill their sheep. Like you're, you're living on a yeah, ranch and life. Then that's what you why do. Why would they call the ambulance? Know? Well, they because it became a human in front of them, and now they have a human body on their hands. What do you do? I mean, like, it's a weird situation to be in, and again, like they're just like, oh, fuck, like we shot a coyote. I literally, like you know, from the wife's perspective, I just watched you grab a coyote by its legs and start pulling it out, and it fucking changed into a goddamn human in front of us. What do we do? There's a dead body on our ranch. Like, what do you do in that situation? And so they, they but were like, I, good. well, not a dead body. Sorry, you're right. But um, but like it. <laughs> it changed into a human body. You just shot a human. Like, by records and stuff like that, looking back, it's like, there's a human shot. But didn't they know what it was? They knew what it was. Then that's what I'm saying. But like, you... if they knew what it was, why wouldn't they just leave it to die? I can this, s- this still is... understand how they would be like, I, I still have to call the hospital. Because, like, if, if somebody came and was just like, well, like, it's your word against theirs, you still killed somebody there. And... Or something, you know? This is also in, like, you know, the early 2000s, early 2010s. This is not long ago. Mm-hmm. Like, to, to really put that in perspective, like, this is... If you're old enough to hear this show, this was in your lifetime, you know? So, like, a missing person is a pretty big deal. Like, it, it's, it, it just straight up disappeared, you know? And, like, um, there's a body on your property, you know, like, uh, you didn't intend to, like, hide from forensics and shit like that. Like, what the fuck do you do? And this is kind of the significance behind what Navajo folks, like, deal with in terms of, like, skinwalkers currently. Like, right now, while you're listening to this, what's going on is that, like, when these situations like this arise, it's in a modern, you know, quote-unquote, like, modern world. And it's like, this is fucking confusing. Like, how do you handle this? You know, like you were just being attacked by some creature. You shoot it. You hurt it. You injure it. Now it's a goddamn human that's bleeding out in front of you. What do you do? Well, then you shoot it again and kill it because I like, I mean, to <laughs> but me, now you're hiding a body. Yeah. But like if, okay, <laughs> so we all know about like, especially they, they're in that area and they know the stories and everyone knows the stories and then that happens to you and then obviously they're attacking you and they've tried to kill you before yeah. and then like you shoot it and then you shoot again because you wanted to die because yeah. it already tried to kill you before and they all know about it so like you can shoot again and kill it and then you can call the cops later but still it's dead but, yeah but it's a dead human the so you're thinking about this and knowing that it's a it's not a mythology right you're thinking of this in their perspective of like this is happening and this is real you have to take the mindset after it of like the people looking into this yeah it may not be the police but it could be federal agents looking into this 
saying like, you murdered somebody, you're going to jail. And yeah. somebody, a family, because these people, they don't not have families. Like, they may kill somebody that's close to them, but they still have family. And if they go missing for a certain amount of time, who knows? Yeah, you but know, you uh, could what be I'm called and then they find it. But the you're... difference that I'm saying is because it's in the area. Like, I will understand if it <laughs> was, it like, here in downtown Asheville. Okay, no one knows about this. Yeah. But they are in the reservation area where everyone knows about it. That's what I'm saying. Like, He's... if it was, like, here or New York City, okay, I get it. But in the reservation. It also, like, there is, um, and thankfully so, there is an inherent, like, um, Humans don't like to kill other humans. Oh, I guess it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what I mean, though? It's just like humans do have a stopping point in killing other humans. That's why we, as a species, as a culture, as everything, like, despise murderers, right? Like, it's just like, um, it it is a wholly despicable act, you know? And so, like, to realize, like, to see something like that when you did not have the intent of, killing another human being to all of a sudden it becomes another human being you're gonna freak out like you're probably not a fucking murderer you're probably not a piece of shit and you're just like oh god there's a human in front of me oh fuck their family oh fuck this oh fuck this like like you're gonna spiral you know like you didn't intend that it wasn't it wasn't even in the sense of like like self-defense or something like that it was just like shit i shot a coyote I've shot hundreds of coyotes in my life. You know, like, it's just like, you're living on a ranch, you're protecting your fucking sheep, you're protecting your family, everything, you know, keeping disease down. And then all of a sudden, it's goddamn human in front of you, bleeding and, like, crying or whatever on the ground. Like, that's a weird situation to be in. You know, like, and, like, who's to say that this isn't their first experience with a skinwalker? Like, you know, like, they might just be like, oh, shit, that wasn't oh. a joke. Like, it, it's... I thought it was the same couple. No, no, no. This, this was a different oh, couple. Oh, that's yeah. what I was like, dude, they <laughs> tried to kill you. Why are you doing No, 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 no. That, that, um, that couple, Haas and Mary. Um, okay, we I moved on from that couple. <laughs> I, I will put the link to Haas and Mary's, or specifically to Haas's uh, book in the show notes. It's like $3.99, 4 bucks. You can get it on Kindle, or you can like buy it on Amazon. It's super cheap. It's a really quick read, like 40 minutes. It's it's awesome. It's an awesome read. I learned way more details about skinwalkers in that short little book than I have in like a bunch of podcasts and a bunch of like documentaries and stories. Like it was fucking solid. And I've heard it referenced a lot in like little footnotes and things like that. And I was like, oh shit, this is, this is fucking sick. This is like a little hidden gem over here. But back to the couple that accidentally shot a coyote or that shot a coyote that became a dude, then everybody freaked out. <laughs> um so <clears throat> so after he was taken to the hospital um navajos all like you know seeing like it's this dude with a 22 shot covered in white paint which is just a hallmark of like skinwalkers right when they're doing their whole transition thing their transformation thing like that like all of them freaked the fuck out and they were like what the fuck and this and that and the other and the white doctors basically had to like try to like kick everybody out of the room that knew what the fuck was going on and focus on just saving this piece of shit's life <laughs> and we can safely call him a piece of shit um so the family after this right after he had been saved then approached the navajo rangers 
and they specifically asked for advice on what to do. They were terrified that there would now be the skinwalker out there that would be seeking revenge on them. Rightfully so. You know, he got shot. <laughs> like, and then they just fucking ignored him as he was on the ground bleeding and we're like I ain't touching him you touching him I ain't touching him you know like, so like he's gonna be pissed yeah, skinwalkers aren't known for being forgiving um, well this is when uh, Jonathan Dover um, along with his partner informed them that in Navajo tradition one of the best ways to deal with the threat of a skinwalker is to go directly to their house and tell them that you know it's them. At this point, if you do this, they will drop dead in three days. That's good to the, know. <laughs> this is one of the only defenses that exist against a skinwalker, right? Well, the family all of a sudden seemed very happy with this knowledge after coming up and they were very stressed. And they left with a smile on their face. There's no information on follow-up about if some random person in town died within three days, but the family went from completely distraught to, like, very satisfied with understanding what they should do next. Again, the police refused to get involved. This all had to be handled outside of the, judicial station, the judicial system and inside of cultural practices. This is legit as fuck, in my opinion. I, I thought for a second you, the cops were going to say, it's called a double barrel to the back of the head. <laughs> <clears throat> well, yeah, so so the, here's a few things. Um, there's myths that go around about uh, skinwalkers are bulletproof, that they can't be killed, all this fucking shit about them. Um, it's not true. Um, from the folks that have dealt with them on a regular basis, that have dealt with reports of them and responding to reports of them, uh, just like most things in this world, shot to the head will deal with it pretty damn well, right? Um, shooting them will kill them. But as we just discussed, like Beth's way, <laughs> I just went back and forth, um, also leaves you with a human carcass on your property that you now have to try to figure out how to explain to a larger judicial system that will literally not believe you so it kind of puts you in a bit of a pickle um being able to say and this comes up over and over again being able to say their name their full name and telling them i know who you are your name is insert you know whatever the name so their is. birth name it's a threat like it's a direct threat part of the way that skinwalkers operate is in the complete shadows and within fear and part of breaking out of that fear is identification if you can break through the fear the intimidation of them and literally straight up say i know where you live and i know your full fucking name it destroys something about their power source and it kills them so they are T like they are like demons because that's it, what when you do that with demons that's exactly what, during an yeah. exorcism during yeah. an exorcism <laughs> you have to get the demon you have to call the demon by its name you have to get the demon to say its full fucking name and then you call it by it and that disempowers it it's it's almost the same thing which is what in a strange way connects it back to like so much folklore around the planet right while it is its own unique experience its own unique thing 
it also does kind of follow the same rules that are really well uh, understood and established in like the English language, right? Which is like, actually, this kind of tracks, <laughs> you know, like, like maybe we're looking for it really hard, but like the whole three days thing, that's got a lot of symbolism. And then like the whole calling it by its name thing. And not being that's... afraid to, once they know you're not afraid, then they lose all their power. Exactly. And like it... I don't know. I it, this this all comes down for me to like whatever it quote unquote is, even if it isn't it. It's only pure speculation. But what makes sense to me from the angle of ritual, ceremony, sacrifice is something is being tapped into. It's it's being called upon. And like the self interest of a parasite spreading between hosts without the host it will die so if it doesn't reach a balance with the host and it kills them it will quickly find itself running out of options i believe this is why the, the agreement must be made to begin with approval must be given by the host and a deal must be struck like there is something that's being tapped into and this isn't this is totally my speculation but like something is happening and an agreement's being made where you're kind of just sacrificing a huge part of yourself to gain these powers and you're walking this fine line of like a balance between your motivations and its self-interest. And the second that breaks, shit falls apart. Like over and over and over again in these stories. I don't know. But uh, all I can say is that like this is these folklores, these legends, these the, the stories and stuff like that, they've transferred into modern day and into the same pitfalls of modern day versus tradition. There are stories of kids that are in their teens and their early 20s who only learn, for whatever reason, the process and the, the ability to shapeshift. And they do it as pranks. They do it to fuck around with the neighborhood and to screw with people in town. They do it for reasons of, um, of, of gang interest on reservations, just to fuck with other gangs. That's all. They don't understand the medicine. They don't understand the deep culture of like curses. They don't understand any of this other shit, the, you know, like the positives and none of that. They just know how to do this one thing and they go out and they fuck with people and they do it and they come back. And these reports are coming in from from uh, Phoenix, from Albuquerque, from like cities that like you probably have a connecting flight to at some point. Like they're coming in throughout the Southwest of like reports of things like this happening. And it's coming in, the, the way that it's evolved stands out to me because it's not tied to some traditional kind of like, it's really fucking bastardize all of this a witch doctor kind of like ooh you know it's like kind of a thing it's like no it's actually being bastardized in a modern way but still being used and it's fucking nuts like the stories that are coming back are fucking i don't know they're fucking nuts imagine it seems like it's like a, it fits the times for how they're they're trying to screw with like the idea of it like i know that was in like 2000 and putting curses on somebody but i feel like that fit like an older yeah like an older way of telling stories and an older way to mess with people of yeah. like hearing that throughout the town yeah. and like now with i don't know like the viral stuff I feel like that would be more of a thing where you just hear somebody's like, damn, these people are just screwing with people. Yeah. Like it's not, 
it's not somebody was killed. It's it's somebody was put like it, it spreads more fear now for people to go out and do these little things like messing with people yeah. than it does to like somebody being killed because we're desensitized to that. I feel like now. John, Jonathan Redbird uh, Dover like does point out um, there's a bunch of great talks and stuff by him that I've listened to, but he, he does point out that he thinks that there's more skinwalkers now than there has ever been in history. Well, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, but he does also point out that the uh, the process of like learning within the culture um has become more fragmented in the sense, and he, he uses the same line over and over again. I'm loosely trying to quote him here, but he says that at one point in time, you know, you were trained to be uh, a medicine man, a medicine woman, or whatever, like from birth. Like it was just like you know, like it was a path that you were on. It was your full life, and and obviously you spend a full lifetime learning something as complicated as that. You you understand a multi multiplicity of applications, of views, of practice, right? Now, a lot of folks are learning um, specialties later in life. And so what you have in the world of, um, of that type of like work, of that type of medicine, is you have almost, almost like in Western medicine where you have like an ear, nose, and throat specialist. And I'm quoting him here. Or you have like a dentist. Or you have a this. You have people that instead of being a general practitioner that just covers everything, they're, they're specialists in one specific area. And just as that has become fractal right or fractured so has um the knowledge understanding and process of like being a skinwalker has also become like fractured where it's just like you might understand curses you might understand just the transformation you might understand this but there's something to the fact that it has been updated in this way right like that this this way that like it stands out to me is making it like more legitimate I can't, I can't escape that reality. It's not just like this all encompassing evil, right? It's just like, it's been bastardized the same way all traditions have been bastardized as they pick up modern motivations, right? But it's a fucking trip. And it doesn't mean that the old ways, that the old views, that the more long-term dedicated paths, again, grabbing up young children and putting them on that path early, like it doesn't mean that that's gone just means that it might be less prevalent or maybe it's less prevalent because it's fucking spreading everywhere in certain ways so i don't know i don't know but it's a fucking trip and all i can tell you is that like i've read um too many reports um from navajo which uh would rather fucking not talk about this kind of shit would rather ignore this kind of shit um saying that they've dealt with this and saying how much of a problem it is along with um mormons living in the area again like with like hoss and with his wife he's devout fucking mormon couldn't give a fuck less about like this shit like i mean obviously he's not just stone cold and doesn't care i mean it's especially his wife is not hope but i'm just saying like not necessarily brought up in the culture and the superstition around it his experiences which are outlined in a book um, so we have like large amounts of like Mormons who have come into interaction with this in a specific like region. And then we have reports of just like straight up Christians where it's like youth groups are coming into the area for whatever kind of Christian shit that they're doing there. And like, they get warned one time when they come onto the res, like, don't talk about skinwalkers. Don't da 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 da. 
don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And, uh, you know, all these Christians coming in from around the country are just like, what do you mean? Why aren't we about da-da-da-da-da? But what about Jesus? And they're just like, yeah, yeah, Jesus. We're all Christian here, but, like, just fucking don't bring that shit up here. All right? This is, this is, it might come back at you. Like, so folks that are 100% outside of the culture that are interacting with and on a, on the grounds of where this culture is is uh, is practicing and shit, um, they're also like, yeah, you need to give respect to that. Like, you know, you don't fuck around with that shit. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on The Skinwalker. We put a lot of effort into giving you interesting and fun episodes each week. Don't forget to like, review, and subscribe to us. Also, send us any stories, info, or books you would like us to cover to contact at blackcat.report. We'll see you on the other side.